reality. It's a beautiful, exquisite, amazing expression. Like really, it could have been nothing. And in fact, it is nothing. It only appears as something. It's as if that limitless vastness field of open I amness or consciousness or awareness or whatever, whatever you want to call it, love, you can call it love. It kind of wears a costume. It puts a costume of the body and the mind and it uses that projector there, that computer to create, to project the world outside. It learns to label and memorize things. And in this way, it creates the stories, the future and the past. And the reference point, which is here, where the, where the perspective starts. And everything is relative. And everything becomes limited somehow. And that's how the contraction and the suffering, the identification with that biocomputer, the hide and seek play, in which that open vastness, space, silence, potentiality, pure field of potentiality, has a glimpse of itself through the costume it temporarily wears. So how else, if we want to go to the story of it wanting to experience itself, because it doesn't have wants or desires. It is totally free and beyond any wants and desires. And at the same time, on experiential level, we can't deny the fact of existence. So it already does experience itself separated from the world outside. It's nothing really outside. And everything that happens, happens within that open field of vast conscious awareness or presence, which I am. So everything, including my costume and your costume and, and the whole world, appears within me, within the I am. You're listening to the Non-Duality Podcast. This is Nick Hyam from nisagayoga.com. In this episode, I'm joined by Sailor Kat Adamson. Where do we start? We start with, I am. I can't deny I exist. What I am goes into lots of speculation, lots of conceptual ideas. But I know that I am, and that I am is undeniable. It's indefinable. So that's all I can ever really know, the infinite capacity of being self-knowing, but not split into knower and known subject and object, yet can appear as this manifestation. Where can we begin? But knowing that we are anything that comes on top of that is just poetry, isn't it, at best? It is. It's, yeah, I like, I like the way you say it. It is a poetry. As you say, I can't deny my own existence. The, the isness, the beingness, the witnessing, the presence is there. So we could say it did want to experience itself, even though there is no desire and there is no did, because that implies a past in which the decision has been made. And there is no decision that has been made in the past, because anthropomorphizing, that's apparently what we do. We create God in our own image. <laughs> <laughs> so anthropomorphizing that open field of infinite possibilities and infinite creativity and lovability and beauty and, and, and making it to something that have decided to see itself or glimpse itself or experience itself or... Uh, or know itself is already said too much. Mm. There's nothing outside, nothing apart, and nothing separate. And how obvious it is when it is obvious. <laughs> but when it is not, when you buy into being that costume, being that tight, limited flesh body and vulnerable, sensitive mind, and then, of course, the, the, uh, what follows the consequence of that identification with the vehicle is no matter how huge self-esteem you have, no matter how confident you are, you're still less than the absolute. 
So any self-definition, I am unworthy of loving, or I am wonderful, either one and every single one will be limiting to what you really are, the absolute mystery, which cannot be named and cannot be described and cannot be known as an object because it isn't an object. It is a pure subjectivity. Even in the Gita, they tell you that I cannot see itself. It can only see reflection of itself. Yes. So looking outside, I'm looking at the sky right now. It's a beautiful sunset, a little bit gloomy, but still beautiful. I'm a sky lover, can't help it. Uh, that's, that's a reflection of what I am, the sky. And the computer screen and Bob and everything is basically everything that appears in that open field is an expression and a reflection of that infinite potentiality. It shows up during the day as forms, objects, feelings, thoughts, emotions. How incredible they, the dreams, they show up of nothing. They show up already, the world already fully furnished, already equipped with personnel and vehicles and mountains and trees that didn't need any past or any time to get to come into existence. They just spontaneously appear out of nothing, that sort of a, that vibration which, which the thought is, or the vibration which everything is. So in, in the same way, this dream that we are experiencing now is just a, just a set of vibration, vibrating patterns of energy happening presently and yeah and amazingly so yes infinite potentiality of that singular pure subjectivity seemingly knowing itself reflecting itself as all that is it's a nice idea and there's something true about it something there's something it hints at something deeply known recognized but it's still a story. No story or conceptualization can capture what is going on. But maybe, maybe something along those lines. And so self-knowing, yet never really becoming multiplicity, always that singularity uh, of potentiality. Yet there is this sort of urgency, this sort of it's almost self-infatuation. Nisargadatta talks about self-love a lot. This self-love, this I want to be, I want to perpetuate this beingness. There's this kind of blissful, orgasmic pouring out of the unmanifest as this, as this, as this, as this. And the loving to be in it. Like when, when you say, when you look closer, the motivation behind, behind every single action could be traced down to loving to be, beginning from the survival instinct and ending on wars where you harm others because of mistaken identification as a deficient little human who needs to add to itself and accumulate and amass and complete itself somehow by means of taking or harming because of the thought or belief, but really loving to be even in animals and trees and birds and plants, everything loves to be and preserves that being as a part of the machinery, as a part of that biocomputer that is equipped in, inherently equipped in that survival mechanisms of defending the separate existence, so-called. <laughs> yeah. Evidently, there is this kind of, as you say, self-preservation, this desire to be and to continue. And I like the way you said that you can trace any of that activity back to this, to this root of love. Ultimately, it's love. I mean, it's love beyond love. It's not the, the usual way we think about love. It's love beyond love, unconditional self-love. Yeah. Yeah, and Nisargadatta had this really beautiful quote in which he was actually showing how everything is love. 
seeking, being a love for knowledge or wisdom, or fear. Fear is, as I think he says, is love for protection or for safety, for security. Everything can be actually effectively traced back to love, even, uh, even if so-called human pattern has got infected by particularly vicious parasite of thought. And when we see how the thought creates identification, creates that costume, that mask, that identity, uh, that is always lacking something, and is always feeling sense of incompleteness, sense of inner void, and is suffering. And out of self-love is trying to medicate that suffering by adding to itself and trying to complete itself. So that consequences we all know from a daily life and from our past seeking, because... Yeah, I've been there too, <laughs> feeling inferior and incomplete little me, little poor little me that was shy and unworthy and, uh, and what a pain of existence, loving to be yet uh, almost on the edge of wanting to end that uh, existence for the pain it was causing. And I did lose my best friend to a suicide for the very same reason, pain of existence at this uh, existential angst, uh, which is so simple and so easy to see through if you really relax out of the thinking mind, because if you see how it has been constructed, how that self has come into existence by learning words, by using language, by defining yourself. And self-definitions, even the good self-definitions, oh, yeah, I'm not so bad, I'm not that ugly, I'm not that stupid, even those are still limiting definitions. And the longing for completeness and innate wisdom and knowing that there is something much vaster, greater and bigger than that tight little mask you wear and that tight little costume. Innately we all know it because innately we all been in a stage when there was no language and no words. And that is in the collective story of time because of course the story of me being born some 47 years ago or something is a story. There is no 47 years ago. This story comes into existence right now. And in right now, I'm projecting the past of being a baby who had no words. It didn't happen back then because there isn't any back then. It's only this moment now. And in this moment now, I create the body, project the body, I, the consciousness, I, open field or life or pure potentiality, create this body alongside with other bodies, having the brains able to collect the memories and create the memories of existing in the time other than this moment now, which is totally ridiculous if you think about it, can't be experienced, it, it can't be true, but it is existing as an image as an image and words in language in the in that imagined body and imagined brain that it gives itself for the experiencing so it's there is a seed of non-dual abiding in every form no matter how much caged it may feel in its conceptual image created of thoughts and self-definitions. But when you see how it got created, when you are a child and you're learning, I am this, I am good, I am bad, I am Polish, I am a woman or a man, and slowly going in the search on the separation as a teenager, trying to define themselves, find themselves, uh, and getting more and more uncomfortable in that costume, trying drugs to get out of it, perhaps getting addicted on them if, if that's the way it appears, or whatever the life story unfolds in a seeming time, which is again being projected and imagined back right now. Right now, the whole past, including the Big Bang and everything, is just appearing as a story because the baby doesn't exist and never did. It's just a thought. The moment I stop thinking about it, it's gone, it's vanished. 
how amazing is that? How magnificent is that? And when you see the way it is being constructed, you also see that the only way out of that constructed set of tight images is to relax out of the mind. It's like, how could you possibly imagine being a self trapped in the body to wake up of your own self trapped in the body? That's totally ridiculous. That can't happen. Like, how can costume stop being costume? It can't. So it's like they say ego cannot kill the ego because only ego remains. And what is the ego? It's a conceptual image. It's an imagination. Right, and only that image would want to kill the image. And to appreciate the benefit of, of being dead. But yeah, as you said, there is this drive towards wholeness to merge with the absolute, to transcend limitation while seeking fragmentation, while seeking duality, uh, while seeking to name with words, all of this, that drive towards transcending limitation, that seed is so fundamental to this so-called human existence. It's how can I get back to that? How can I get back to that? Or how can I um, nurture that seed to blossoming, to wholeness, and then enjoy the benefits enjoy this living in wholeness as fragmentation yeah that is the paradox uh, once the costume is recognized for what it is there is no one to enjoy freedom and there is nothing but the freedom if there is still a memory of the confinement that's amazing. I can't say that there is a me that is enjoying a freedom in comparison to the uh, self-hatred or whatever, incompleteness. But yet, the contraction is gone. Like there was a contraction, there was this relating. Everything was relevant to me, everything was about me. The world was viewed from that very rigid perspective. And now it is not. Now the world is happening. The body is happening. The mind is happening. Other bodies are happening. They're all happening. And funny enough, the body is still, it's been on, only six and a half years or so. So there are still certain behaviors that that body is presenting that are kind of funny and rigid and, and opinionated. I, I'm surprised. It's very, very little comparing to what it was 10 years ago or seven years ago. But they still appear occasionally and they're just laughable. The body is perpetuating itself and is uh, proclaiming those truths and there is some sort of a light laughter in the background. Oh, that's funny. That's funny how it actually... Um, responds to things and this is not I responding this is the body responding and I am the witnessing presence to the body responding and funny enough there is no judgment around it and there is no preference for that to be or not to be there who cares there's no one who cares that's exactly it so the patterns can still play out but the contraction dissolves or softens or slows down or expands and if we look out into so-called nature i mean all is nature there's only nature there's only the natural state nisaga there's only that being all this but if you look at the pattern of a tree you know the tree trunk with this specific unique patterning well, upon so-called awakening, that doesn't just get turned into this glowing white light in the shape of a tree. The patterning remains. The patterning of your wallpaper doesn't suddenly become purified into nothingness upon so-called awakening. So why should, the, why should the, the patterns of this body change? Well, they are just like any other pattern. But the thing is, the patterns that are attributed to me seem personal, whereas the patterns in nature seem, oh, it's okay, they can be just as they are, that's okay, they don't need to awaken. Well, 
what's the difference? There is no difference. So there's no need for anything to change or transform because all is only that. And so there's pure equality of expression. And what's the need for any pattern to change if it's not personal? And it would only be a, a fabricated self that would want to get rid of the patterns to enjoy the purity. Absolutely, absolutely. Beautifully explained. Yes, that's, that's exactly what's happening. Like, yeah, really, who cares? Who is there to even judge the pattern? Like something that is socially desirable or socially not desirable or something that seems kind or unkind? Uh, gosh, who is there to even judge it and compare it to some standards? Who is there to have opinions about it or preferences about it? Like life is unfolding as it should. If you think of the, again, uh, about the animals who did not develop any sense of separate self, so they didn't have to wake up from that nightmare, the, you will still have a good dogs and a bad dogs and a traumatized cats and a healthy cats. And, and, and of course, updating the whole biocomputer will still update the uh, database in continuous interaction with the whole environment. So the patterns will be rewiring, like nothing is unchanging. Everything's constant flux. So yes, the, the patterns that were there 10 years ago, they are just, if, even if they are trace of those patterns, they are much, much lighter and much, uh, the suffering didn't come back. <laughs> no. The, the self-obsession didn't come back. No. But yes, there might be a pattern which one or the other would judge in one or the other way, but there is no judgment around, around that here because there's no one there who actually, who cares. And again, the lightness coming from it, especially if the costume has been conditioned, in it, that body-mind has been conditioned to be humble. So to always feel low self-esteem rather than even some sort of an objective uh, skill assessment or worth assessment. That habit, when that one is gone, how much lighter you travel how much more sunny the world, the life become. If you used to, like Buddhists say, go a thousand miles with a stone in your shoe, and then you take that shoe off and you throw off that stone, that's the heaviness of that inner judge that is constantly telling you that you're not good enough, you need something. You need to grow, you need to develop, you need to learn, you need to mature, you need to get enlightened, or whatever the story is that there is a you who is deficient. If there is no you, there is no one who is deficient. And is there a you? Only when you think about it. The you exists only when there is a thought. In the absence of thought, not only there is no you, there is no me. But I can't even say there is a body. I can't say anything without the thought. There is just being, and even that is a thought as I'm saying it, but the being, awareness of presence, I'm not unconscious, there is an existence, conscious existence. But even about the experience of the body, I can't say anything else, but there is some subtle vibration. Yeah. It doesn't say that I have the face or I have the head. No, the direct experience without the translating devices there in the brain, in the mind doesn't say what I am or who I am. It says that I am and nothing else. That's it. This is a mystery. It's, it can't be said. It can't be known. It can't be imagined. I can just, yes, the, let that mind stream of imagination go in and it will create a costume, a story, a past, a deficiencies, a suffering, and all the dramas, and that's amazing when you no longer believe it to be true. Because if you do, ouch, that hurts. But it doesn't have to hurt. When you see how it is constructed, and you see how it perpetuates itself, and you see it in the same way as you see the, the rainbow on the sky, and you see the clouds. And 
Why do you care? Is it big or is it small or is it colorful? Is it not? Is it loud or is it, you know, is the mind chatty or is not chatty or is it judgmental or non-judgmental? Who cares? You just see the incredible miracle of, of that hologram which which perpetuates and creates worlds within the worlds because what happens now if I create the story of me the next thing I will imagine the story of other countries and parents and societies and work and problems and I will be daydreaming about them I'm sitting here now but I'll totally ignore the fact that I'm sitting here now and the bodily sensations and sounds and sights and instead I'll be imagining other people in other places creating world within the worlds within the worlds and perpetuating creation. What an incredible tool for just infinite creation expansion. When you see it this way, you marvel, you enjoy it, you bow down to the ground and you love it to the fullest. <laughs> but when you believe you're that little figure there in that story, poor little me, oh my god. Yeah, it's just pure creativity and all of it is neutral. All of it is impersonal. Yet in another way, it's deeply personal because I am that one self. So all is me. But it's not an individualistic ego personal. So pure creativity of expression. We call it a mystery. And that's a beautiful word because it points to this wordless quality, this indefinable quality of life. Like, what is this? I can't say what it is. Like, no matter what words or what creative use of language I apply, I can't capture this. So it, it seems to be a mystery. Yet, it's all I know. It's all I've ever known. So it's both a mystery, but also home. It's the most familiar non-thing that I have ever known. And of course, I am that home home enjoying myself which is completely paradoxical yeah beautifully said it's a, it's a completely different uh, way of experiencing that love of being and love of life suddenly it is totally impersonal so it's not judged from the perspective of individual what's pleasant what painful suddenly even a pain and sadness can have this immense beauty in it, the immense capacity for experiencing to the fullest, even the darkest part, which it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, but there is a beauty in that hurt and there is no wish for that to end. And if the wish appear, that's just part of the landscape. And ultimately, you are the whole space, the whole landscape in which everything is loved as it is and it doesn't have to be any different. It's exquisite. It's just beautiful. It's loved as it is simply because it is. What is, is loved because it is, because it's here, because it's present. What it is, I don't know, but that it is, is undeniable. What I am, I don't know, but that I am, the knowing that I am, that I exist is undeniable. So this pain, the sadness, the discomfort, these are flavours of that. And we don't look at the sky and say, oh, you know, it's, it's too grey or it's too gloomy or, well, we may, if we identify with the sky and say, oh, it's going to stop me from doing what I want to do. It becomes part of the ego extension. It's claimed. But generally, the sky is sort of neutral. And in the clouds and the weather, the climate, what's the difference? This body-mind thing may as well be the sky holding a particular kind of weather at any given time. It's just a, a movement of clouds, a movement of particular vibrational quality and it does, as you say, have a beauty to it once it's not seen as what I am. Once it's seen that it doesn't define me in any way, I define it because it's made of me. Mm. 
Beautiful. I love to actually look at the whole, you know, that that body-mind machinery, which is also experiencing an expression tool, uh, to see it the same way as I'm viewing a weather. This is unknown. This whole body-mind of mine is completely unknown. It's unpredictable. It responds to environment in a way that I'm still amazed how it does. A couple of days ago, there was a little kid that was pissing in the flowers in Bob's garden that are <laughs> that we were actually waiting to see how they go through the through the ground and show up their faces and uh, yeah, and I could feel the volcano erupting inside like <sighs> and. There was nothing more beautiful and amazing in that pure, raw reaction. Doesn't mean that I went and hurt the child or anything like that. It's just the reaction that happens, which was totally unexpected, unpredicted. It was just what was happening. And every reaction that body does is really like a weather. It, it responds like I used to... I used to do the navigation on, on the ships, on the ocean. So we used to learn at school about meteorology, how the waves are forming, how the clouds are traveling, how the fronts. So I know how the weather is a consequence of infinite amount of factors cooperating. The height of the wave depends on the wideness of the, uh, of the area of the ocean, of the depth of the ocean, of the movement, of the temperature of the water, of every single little thing. And the equations that we would be writing would be probably just maybe eight elements, but there is infinite. So infinite amount of factors are constantly influencing that body-mind machinery. And the slightest influence change will cause a reaction or response which there is nobody in control. There is only witnessing presence which is just learning, oh, this body just experienced the rage surging up. Wow, incredible. Now see what's going to be experienced next. See what forces will move this body to do what. And yes, and freedom of learning about all those, uh, not even learning really of all those interactions in that world that is happening within me, but the beauty of it, the capacity for noticing beauty is just incredible because there is that those mysterious forces and interactions are just mind-blowingly beautiful. Like one of the descriptions that ancients used to say, uh, Shiva Shakti, or uh, in the shamanic tradition, you have the father, the sky, and the mother, the body, or the, or the earth, or the matter. So the Shiva, the, the male aspect, is, is the pure open space. And the Shakti is all the expression, all that moves, all that dances, all the colors and patterns and shapes and forms and everything. And that's just a representation, it's a story, because again, there is no two. There is no spirit and matter as a two things. They are one, they're just passive and active. Like in yin-yang, in, in, in uh, Tao, you have it the opposite. The passive is the, is the female and the active is the male, and which is wonderful because that makes you completely non-attached. You can't attach to any descriptions because they're contradictory. But really what they say, that is not two the expression or the dance of the Shakti or the Maya with the thousand, ten thousand things and forms and shapes and colors and patterns and movements and sounds and waves and all of it is just an expression of that emptiness. The form is emptiness, emptiness is form. Just, uh, and the beauty in it. Like, can you not just... You know, being self-obsessed and preoccupied with pure, poor little me trying to survive in a harsh environment, not be bullied or get the best I can get out of life or all that self-obsessing constantly blinds you to the marvel that is happening right in this moment all around you. Even in the so-called noises of the traffic or so-called false smells or anything is the beauty is there it's just 
the beauty and the potentiality because once you see the beauty you can't not love it it's like we are constructed this way <laughs> you either love it and you find it beautiful or you find it beautiful and you love it it's just like being and knowing you can't separate being from knowing being is love beauty is knowing or opposite <laughs> yeah and the mind can't handle paradox the mind is thought it's only a paradox when it's put into language. There's no paradox. But, you know, the piss and the flower, the rage and the beauty, there's no logic in that. But if you really pay attention and really heed what's going on there, there is this exquisite yin-yang nature. In the same space, there can be what we call yin, what we call yang. It's a play. It's a dance. And... It is love because both the piss and the flowers are held within the same space. They are equally given room to to express like that. Yes, everything that is showing up as a form is totally interdependent. Like the darkness wouldn't exist without the brightness. The day wouldn't exist without the night. The pain wouldn't exist without the pleasure. They have to coexist. They really, the two sides of one coin, they totally interdependent and they totally amazing because yes, and you said that also, everything that appears is the love, is the movement. Like Nisargadatta has this beautiful quote that nothing is wisdom. When I know I am nothing, this is wisdom. When I know I am everything, this is love. So the level of absolute emptiness and realizing that everything is the open field of non-existence, empty nothingness, that's the wisdom. But realizing that every expression in that pure potentiality or stillness, every expression is really movement and movement is love. How can you, it's just, yeah, how can you not bow down and love that way that love comes into existence through the 10,000 things? And really, that is, again, just a story, but it's a story that I particularly like, that why would there be anything if there could be nothing and there really is nothing appearing as everything? And I just like to see for the experience and expression of love. The true answer is, why, why not, really? I mean, that's it. Mm. <laughs> the true answer is silence. <laughs> it is because it can be, and it really isn't. You can't even say whether it is or it isn't, so that's the wrong question. But really, to just point back that every movement, every expression is the, is the manifestation of love, is the loving to be in action, yeah, why questions just lead to infinite answers, most of which conflict or contrast or oppose one another. So as you say, why not? It's the only response. Why not? Why is there anything? Well, why not? Is there anything to begin with? And What is it? Not why is it? What is it? What is this? What is this? What is this? What is it really? What's the nature of this? Those sorts of questions are, I would say, fruitful, but really they're fruitless because they don't perpetuate the conceptual merry-go-round. And funny enough, when you really look at people who are seekers, and I was a seeker for most of my life too, uh, they either look for something outside themselves like God or, 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 or enlightenment or they look for something inside themselves like true self or heart or love. But it is always a movement, a looking, while the real answer is in stillness. How could you possibly go and reach the stillness through movement? Any movement either outside myself to find God or liberation or whatever, or movement in inside, which of course there is no inside or outside, they're both just concepts. But looking within, 
You know, either I question the world and see there is nothing out there, or I question the projector and see what is in here, and I also find nothing there. But somehow it feels like that sort of a movement has to be exhausted. Very often, the mind has to ask the 10,000 questions before it realizes that the answer cannot be found in conceptual thinking. That's the, that's the uh, paradox and the, I don't, even, I don't even know how to call it because it's, it's a lot of suffering in seeking itself and you kind of want to put your heart on your hands and give it to people, Look, don't do it, don't, don't go there, don't ask questions why, all those questions take you into the story, more of the mind shit, more of the, more of the imagination, just stop it, just relax, just see the show from the box seat, just see it in the relaxed manner as the empty space that you are, don't run behind your tail, how, how fast can you run to find yourself stopped? That is not... But I heard that when I was a seeker also, and it just couldn't hear it until it was heard. Yeah, so exhaustion gets you to your knees, so to speak, where you have run out of the why questions and they've all proven futile. So you're left with silence. You're left with... Silence, which is the answer. Truth speaks in that silence. Asking why just leads to more whys. But asking what takes you to silence. What is this thought? What is this feeling? What is this body? What is this moment? What's the true nature of this? And you don't find an answer in the usual way. Beautiful. I used to ask the question when I was still a seeker. Instead of who am I, I was asking what is the I? Because it just kind of, it just rang more true than, than who. I mean, that already makes an assumption that there is a human pattern because you don't ask what uh, for a human. And I didn't want to have that assumption. It just kind of spontaneously arose this way. What is I? What is there? What's looking? And then I would just basically try to center the attention behind my eyes and see if there is any, anything there, anyone there that is doing the looking. And obviously there wasn't. Or, yeah, what question you write is, is actually a good, good way of investigating. Bob used to, uh, and he likes to suggest to ask, who is it happening to? Oh, who cares? Who wants to know? That kills the question too, because it kind of brings the attention away from the content of question into the seeming subject asking it. And then me is the obvious answer. What is that me? What is the me? And for me, it was the most transformational investigation to see what I was considering myself to be. I considered myself to be uh, a vulnerability, an emotional structure, the fear of rejection, the um, incompleteness, the sense of uh, vulnerability. Yes, that's uh, a lot of people identify themselves as me, this, the body, the machinery. No, I kind of knew that the body wasn't the answer. But the emotions, that felt so intimately close. That felt so me. And the basic recognition didn't dawn on me before it did that any feelings, fear of rejections, vulnerability, sensitivity, are coming and going. How could that possibly be who I am if they're not always there? And I am always there. So... When it became obvious, it was laughable impossibility. But when it wasn't obvious, it, this contraction, and funny enough, I wasn't even aware it was all fear. I wasn't aware. I thought I was pretty fearless in the, in the way I was living my life and, and facing challenges. But it was when it dropped away, when that contraction completely relaxed, 
then I realized, my gosh, the life of denial of incredible fear that was underlying everything and believing myself to be that, even though it was gone when I was going to sleep. It was gone when I was eating chocolate ice cream. It was gone when I was watching good movie. That fear, that vulnerability wasn't there all the time. It wasn't there when I was dancing. It wasn't there. So how could that possibly be me? But it wasn't obvious. <laughs> no, that emotional structure is in constant flux, is always shifting, again, like the weather. But the sky remains, you remain. You can't be characterized by any particular cloud that, that comes and goes. The sky is never defined by the weather. You don't change while this emotionality comes and goes and shifts and takes on different patterns. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. The moment it was recognized as just another cloud, there was absolutely no wish, no desire or no preference for that cloud to disappear. And funny enough, I only realized that that anxiety that was kind of going around, I was cruising around with it, disappeared only probably about a couple of months, maybe six weeks later, when in the normal settings where I usually get contracted in the big crowds of people, I felt nothing because not even noticing that the predominant, very, very strong pattern relaxed and disappeared, you don't really notice what disappears. Especially that comparison stopped happening, the self-referencing stopped happening, the judgment, the narration stopped happening. There was nobody to notice that the pattern that was there has been gone, has disappeared. So the shyness, I was so obsessively shy. You wouldn't believe I would, I would just, if someone would ask me what time it is on the road, I would be just dying to pretend invisible, not to need to answer. And it, it was it gone like a, like a soap bubble, it disappeared. It didn't have to. There was no one who would prefer it to go. But it happened to disappear and there was no one who was crying after it. <laughs> There's really nobody cares. So there was some sort of a, some really tough patterns that dissolved in like one instant and never returned so far. But it nobody cared. No one was left to... Uh, celebrate it or to, or, or to mourn it. And that's the beauty, uh, the, the way you were talking about the sky. What is the sky? I remember Bob pointed out that, you know, like there is this uh, passage in Sins in Ming that uh, hold no preferences because if you do, then the heaven and earth will be set infinitely apart. And the earth and heaven, they can't be separated because heaven is just an empty sky, is an empty field. There is no blue canopy anywhere or black canopy. It's just empty space, complete nothing. So this is, this is what I am. The moment some clouds disappeared, nothing could not notice or notice it. It just, yeah, it, it's, 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 shown up in the attention later on, a few weeks later on, and other patterns shown up as absent few other few more weeks later. But really, the, the freedom of not holding those preferences is the real freedom of being nothing, of being no one or no thing, being the empty sky. And then whether it is colorful clouds or no clouds or rainbows or rains or or storms, they, yes, they're beautiful. They even call it sky-like awareness in some of the scriptures. I didn't extensively read on things, uh, but Bob has a little soft spot for some really ancient stuff, like really, really ancient, to just know that that message has been around forever and ever. <laughs> yeah, and you don't have to get to a point of no preference or try to have no preference because that's just a, a loop. The effort asserted to reach a point of no preference or, or ever, even of acceptance, it's resistance because it 
it says that what's here is not okay and it's better to just notice that it is here and that your knowing of what's here isn't in conflict, isn't resisting what is. So your knowing of any of what is here now, any of this, um, seemingly outside the body, seemingly inside the body, or your knowing of it is not at war. Your knowing of it, it has no preference. And that's, that knowing turns out to be you. So you are already that knowing. Better just to notice what already is the case in terms of your, uh, your true nature, which is now, it's not something to be arrived at um, when you have reached a point of no preference. It's happening. Is there a preference? Is there conflict? Is anything being pushed out of awareness or of knowing? Where, where would it go? Where would it go? I mean, there's only this reality. I, I can't say that there is any other reality. There's this reality. I am it. This reality has no preference about what it realizes, what it manifests. All of this is made of that reality. So who am I to argue with myself? <laughs> <laughs> That's a really vital point, Nick. That's really important. Yes, the moment you start pointing at being at ease or being relaxed or having no preference, you already you, you can already experience that it can be hijacked by that computer, by that thinking as a goal to set and achieve in future. And in this way, you, of course, construct the self, which is going to be achieving that goal and becoming that ideal self, which is not in resistance or which is not in conflict. That's already far, far, far away from that ease of being, which already allows everything to be as it is. It is far from, it's like really shifting uh, the perspective from space-like awareness, open field of conscious witnessing being presence, into a little imagined self who wants to get somewhere or become someone. So that little self that wants to get someone and become someone is just another cloud happening within me, the consciousness. So if that tendency to try and change or uh, relax or let go or have no preferences or not judge or stop resisting the judgment or all of that is happening, the only way out is just to really recognize that this is the content of the weather. This is the content of the space. And a space has not been contaminated by any of that inner narrative commenting on whatever. If the, if the resistance happens within the body, resistance happens within the body. What does it have to do with me, the witnessing presence? Nothing. It doesn't touch me in any way. And it is not to say that I'm something else or something different or something separate to the body. No, the content of space is also what I am, but not exclusively. So then it loses its thing. It, it stops being personal. And then that imagined little me that wanted to become something is seen for what it is, just a thought. And it, and it doesn't get fueled by the attention, by act of believing it believing it to reality and the suffering just dissolves yeah nor is this about getting rid of thoughts or having certain thoughts only having positive thoughts having less thoughts what is thought you can't slow down a thought enough to kind of hold it to capture it to to examine it in direct experience ask what is this thought what is it and you won't get to the bottom of what thought is. Thoughts are so ethereal, so translucent, transparent, like they're so unsubstantial, unlike the knowing of these thoughts, not the mind's knowing, but the knowing that you are. Yes, it, it loves it all equally. It loves every thought, negative thought, positive thought, quiet thought, loud thought. <laughs> 
They all babies, they all children of, of the absolute, they all perfect masterpiece expressions of that of that one holographic because it creates of itself, because it is a pure perfection. Every little thought, every scene, every sound, everything is a reflection of that pure perfection. What else could that be? It's just that uh, habitual belief in the content of thoughts that is quite amazing by itself, but it's quite, it has, it backfires by creating that uh, identification and suffering. But a recognition of what is happening, of what is going on, doesn't need to change a thing. You suddenly recognize that it is perfect as it is and it always has been. So nothing needs to be fixed, medicated, no one needs to be saved. Yeah. And you're not creating that identity. You are not consciously identifying with thoughts. I mean, that's easy to see. Are you involved in the production of thoughts, of the claiming of thought? No. Nor do you need to intervene and stop identifying. How do you do that anyway? What's the process of disidentification with thought? Yes, there are practices. Yes, there are meditations and they will happen or they may not. But the point is, they are just spontaneous arisings held in the same space of equality like any other expression. And they're made of what you are, and what you are has no issue. Yeah, you haven't started, you can't stop it, because there is no you to start or stop thinking. You don't know what's your next thought going to be. You don't know. It, basically, it's just the open field of unknowing and the pure curiosity of, of, of what's arising next and the amazement in that curiosity. Because on one hand, it really is what you are, who you are, dancing and expressing itself in all the diverse ways. And on the other hand, there is a mystery because everything influences everything. So it really is one. It really isn't 10,000 things. One could say not even one because even one is already too much, too much being said. It's not even one. It's beautifully unknown and unknowable in, in the ordinary way. You just see how this pattern creator, so-called mind, it's just furnish those worlds within the worlds with every image, with every imagination. And even that is the mind and the body is appearing within that field of space-like open field of, of nothingness, which is not a nothing really, because it's, it's the love, is very alive, potentiality so the the potentiality for the infinite is the energy really is an energy field but the energy uh, until it flows it isn't you know you can't say that it is until you flick the switch and electricity moves then you can say it is but if it is in its potential state which is not being expressed you can't say it is you can't say it isn't and the way it expresses, you can't say it is either, because as you say, you ask the question, what is it? And you dig down into it. All you can find is just vibrating energy. There's nothing tangible there. Yeah, we can start to combine words. And rather than asking, is it fullness or is it emptiness? We can start saying, well, it's full emptiness. It's empty fullness. Is it moving or is it still? Well, it's moving stillness. It's still movement. Yeah, that's a paradox, but really it's not a paradox. It's only a paradox if you try to split things up, if you try to divide the undividable. I heard the analogy once uh, from the guru I had in India. That if you have the glass door, on, on the glass door you write, there is no glass here. It still shows the glass. Or when you write, there is a glass, it still shows the glass. So any thought, whether the thought says there is no God or the thought says there is God, the thought itself, the existence of the, of the thought proves 
something much, much grander that enabled that thought to exist. Yeah, sweet. How every pattern uh, points and every form points to the emptiness. It, it, it really is interdependent, one co coexisting with the other, simultaneously arising or uh, interdependently arising. Because it can't be otherwise if it's one, and it is not even one. And it is, and it is your true nature. It is who I am. It is. That's the. That's the uh, another sort of a difficulty of the language. We are paying homage. We are bowing down to that miraculousness of this, of this mysterious expression, existence, that dance, that lovely Maya illusion, whatever. In a way, using language talking about this as this or it, while it really is here, it is me, it is in my heart, it is the I am, it is the pure subjectivity, it is so intimately close, it is so me, that undeniability <laughs> of existence, of being and being conscious, it's nothing more, it's nothing closer and more intimately of what I am than anything other, and we still call it it when we describe it. And it's not it, it's I am, it's you are, it's the isness, it's the beingness, and even calling isness is already moving it to the third person. That is how difficult mm. uh, pointing non-duality using dualistic language is. And how else can we worship it if not through the expressing it, through the descriptions and, and the poetry of it, of, of attempts to grasp ungraspable. It is really just all expression of love for that incredibility in, and that beauty, because how can you not? Yeah, that self-love is unavoidable self-fulfilling expression, this outpouring of ecstasy. And as you said at the beginning, this whatever this is, whatever I am, whatever you are, could have been devoid of the yin-yang quality. Yes, it is no-thingness, but it could have been no-thingness without the appearance of everythingness. And yet there is this everythingness. How can the everythingness be wrong? How can it be out of place? How can it be inappropriate? It's only like the blossoming of a tree. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's exquisite. It's, uh, yeah, it's incredible. And realizing that it is not it. It is, it is who I am. That's, that's the, the way the dream outpours. Leaves you speechless. <laughs> I think Nisargadatta says something like the I was present before the am. So it's as if the am points to the I and the I amness, as we know, sort of seeks qualification. It seeks identification. It isn't content with just being I am. I am happy. I am sad. I am I'm this kind of person. I'm that kind of person. It's just crying out to be uh, sort of individuated. Uh, and uh, characterized and dis distinguished in some way. Without that characterization, there's the I. The I is is costumeless. <laughs> <laughs> nothing really happens. Nothing really transpires. That I doesn't really become conditioned. Doesn't really become qualified. Doesn't really become distinguished, set apart, split into pieces. Doesn't really happen like that. Mm -mm. Like in the dream, you're dreaming a dream and you're flying or you're running away from a monster and it feels so real. And the environment, it is such a good play, the dream, oh my gosh. And even if you have the lucid dream, it's still, and it feels that you can control the dream, it 
gives you even more sort of a sense of ah me versus the world now i can even change the weather in that dream it's it feels so realistic it's so amazing it's as if that incredible intelligence that intelligence or life or intelligence energy like bob calls it is playing the game is acting as if it was the other because otherwise how could it ever return home i mean how could it awaken if it didn't fall asleep if it didn't dream to be an individual would it ever have a glimpse of knowing itself as the totality it seems like we have a couple of cats here those cats are still in the natural state. They have never traded for a dream of being something other than just being. So they do not appreciate. I don't see the cats having a poetic conversations about incredible beauty and love of that magnificent manifestation. They don't because they take it for granted. <laughs> <laughs> They seem to. They're in happy natural state. I'll tell you, they're very happy cats. But that level of happiness coming from the recognition of not even sharing the nature with everything that is, but being the substratum of everything that is, has not been lost for them. So it can't be found. And imagining, you know, like I was imagining that I was Katarina wearing the tight costume of a poor little miserable me and feeling confined and suffering and longing for that truth of liberation that I instinctively, deeply in my heart knew existed. How, how could I ever appreciate it the way I do now? So that's, again, it's a little story about the hide-and-seek play of existence, which is absolutely bullshit story. But how, how sweet and how cute it makes that whole seeming journey of dreaming yourself to be isolated, separated, poor little me and looking for the way home and finding that way home and realizing that the home has never been left and has never been lost. It has always been here underneath that, that nightmare of being something other than what you really are and always have been. <laughs>